Let's open the Bible, okay? We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you need a Bible, a couple of our students are going to be passing those out. If you would like to have one, you're more than welcome to keep this as a gift from us. Or if you need one uh, to give to a friend, you feel free to take those with you, hand those out. Uh, Taylor and Colson will be coming down the aisle. You just raise your hand, they'll get you one. Or if you don't have a friend to give that to, or if you don't need to keep it, you're welcome to turn that back in uh, as you leave today. But we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Now remember, when we open God's Word, what does He do? He speaks. So let's be ready to listen and hear what He has to say to us today. Okay. Our big idea for today is this. What we find in Luke chapter 15 is that Jesus' love is extravagant and relentless. It's extravagant and relentless. Nathan Barlow passed away at the age of 91. He spent 60 years in the country of Ethiopia treating people in that country with a condition known as mossy foot. Now, mossy foot is a condition where there will be sores and ulcers, swollen feet, up the legs, and it really put those people who had that condition in a status of being a social outcast. But Nathan's love was relentless for the people of Ethiopia, so much so that Nathan actually had to come home to the United States, come off of the mission field to the United States because he had some dental procedures that he had to have done. And because he never wanted to come back to the United States to have any type of procedures done regarding his teeth, he had the dentist, get this, he had the dentist go ahead and take out all of his teeth and replace them with a brand new set that would never decay. And he would never have any other issues. That was a demonstration of his relentless love for the Ethiopians for, and for the people that he was dealing with. The, the people that were known as those social outcasts at that time. Sixty years he spent his life serving the people of Ethiopia. But his relentless and extravagant love that he had for the people of Ethiopia pales in comparison to the extravagant, relentless love that Jesus has for you and Jesus has for me. And we see that relentless love demonstrated and described in Luke's gospel in chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me there. Uh, if you use your iPad or another type of device there, turn that one on and let's follow along with what God's Word wants to say to us today. So Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. We're going to go through all 31 verses. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, hey, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a young man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out, I'm going to, I'm going to go back home, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned and I, and, and, and I, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for his son. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the fattened calf. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put the, put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring that fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. But meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and said, Hey, what's happening at my house? Your brother came home, and your dad has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound the older brother became angry and he refused to go in so his father went out and he pleaded with his son but he answered his father look all these years i have been slaving for you i and i've never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a young goat so i could go and celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes and he comes home you kill the fattened calf for him What's up with that, Dad? And the father said, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. The tax collectors and the sinners were the social outcasts. They were the social outcasts. The Romans would, they had a a variety of taxes that they needed to collect, so they brokered that responsibility out to Jewish people and other individuals who would be more than willing to go and receive money at a price. But what happened was there were dishonest people who began to basically skim off the top and they became known as those dishonest people. And they were hated. They were very much unloved. They were the social outcasts of the day. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those scribes, those lawyers, those were the religious leaders. Their chief function, the scribes' chief function was to interpret the Jewish law. And and the scribes were probably one of the most critical members of Jesus' audience. They accused him of violating the law in several different ways. One, in the fact that he forgave sins. And their law that was saying that only God could forgive sins. And by Jesus forgiving sins, it was putting him in a place of God himself. And so they were offended by what Jesus did in forgiving sins. But we all know, at least I hope we do, that Jesus is God and does have that power to forgive sins. They accused him of breaking their notion of the Sabbath because of the work. When he would heal people on the Sabbath, that was not right. Because you're breaking the Sabbath. Doesn't matter what this person's going through over here. You're breaking the Sabbath, Jesus. You are an offense to us. Not following the accepted ceremonial washings. Ignoring their practice of fasting. They especially disapproved of Jesus' practice of mixing in with those people that were unclean the social outcasts of the day. You know, but here's what's significant. As you, as you read that first sentence, that first verse in Luke 15, here's what's interesting about this, is that Jesus attracted sinners, while the Pharisees and the scribes repelled them. See, lost sinners came to Jesus Not because he catered to them or he compromised his message. No, they came to Jesus because he loved them. He was relentlessly loving the social outcasts of the day. He understood their needs and he helped them while the Pharisees criticized them and they kept their distance from them. They wanted there to be separation. The Pharisees, see, they had a knowledge of the Old Testament. They knew the Bible. And they had a desire for personal purity. But here's where they went wrong. They had no love. 
They didn't know how to love. They thought that it was all about following the law to the letter of the law. And that's how they were going to know God. They didn't know how to love. When you take a look at the work of Christ, man, Jesus scandalized the Pharisees. He scandalized them with his words and with his actions. I mean, it was bad enough that he welcomed the tax collectors and the sinners, and it was bad enough that he taught them, but to eat with them? Are you serious? Jesus crossed the line. He crossed it big time. And the truth is, is because Jesus' extravagant love and his relentless love for the outcast, here's what Jesus was willing to do. He was willing to become unclean so that they could become clean. He was willing to go into the very pit of hell so that you and I don't have to. He was willing to step out of a place of perfection and into a place of imperfection, live a completely perfect, sinless life so that we could have life and have it to the fullest. That's what Jesus was willing to do. And Luke 15 describes exactly what Jesus did for you and for me and for the people in your life that are lost without Christ. The irony in all of this the irony in all of this is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were outcasts themselves because of their disbelief. They just didn't realize it. So Jesus pursues them and those social outcasts of that day with the same relentless love in three stories with one message. Three stories, one message. We all know what it's like to lose something, right? We know what it's like to lose something. Maybe a, a, a precious item that we value, and we lose it, and we search frantically for it. Maybe, maybe it is something that you like to do, and you no longer are able to do that very thing. Maybe it is just something very special, and you have no idea where it is. You've lost it. But do you remember what it was like to be lost? Before Jesus came into your life, do you remember what it was like to be lost? Let that sink in for just a second. Jesus talks about the first story. He begins this conversation with the Pharisees, actually, it's more of a monologue than anything. And he begins speaking. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Here's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. Okay, what are you going to do? If you have a hundred sheep, you Pharisee, or you scribe, you teacher of the law, if you have a hundred sheep, one of them goes missing, what are you going to do? You're going to go look for it, right? That's what you're going to do. You're going to go look for it. If a sheep was lost, get this, if a sheep was lost, 
the shepherd must at least bring home the fleece to show how it had died, or he had to pay for it out of his own pocket. Because the shepherd was personally responsible for the sheep. It explains why he would leave the 99 or he would leave the flock of sheep to go after the one. See, because not to find that particular sheep meant money out of his own pocket. Plus, it was also the disgrace of being a careless shepherd. Every shepherd that went out to care for those flocks, every shepherd did so at their own life's risk. That's what they would do. They were willing to fight tigers. They were willing to fight lions. They were willing to fight bears. They were willing to fight whatever approached their sheep. They were going to stand in the way between that sheep and that predator. That's what they were going to do. Now, for many in that part of the world at that time, those flocks were not just individuals' flocks. They were, com- they were communities' flocks. And you had two or three shepherds that would go out, and they were caring for the community's flocks of, she- of sheep. So you'd have those two or three shepherds that were in charge. And those, those flocks that were safe, and as they would come back in from being in the pasture, and they would be, those shepherds would be arriving home on time, and then they would let the community know if there was a lost sheep, they would let the community know that there was a shepherd that was out looking for his lost sheep. And so when the whole village heard that, they would be on watch. They were waiting to look ahead. They were looking to see the shepherd carrying the sheep on his shoulders, bringing that sheep back home safe and sound. And when they saw that shepherd carrying that sheep on his shoulders safe and sound, the whole village erupted in a celebration because that one sheep is just as important as the other in that flock. It was a glorious moment. It was a glorious celebration. And that is exactly what God is like. When when a person comes to know Jesus, God's like, yes, another one. It's a high five. It's fist bumps. It's chest bumps. It's whatever you've got going on in heaven. All right? That's what's happening. When one person comes to know Jesus, when one person repents, turns to Christ, Man, there's a party that started in heaven over that one person. And God is glad. And the community of heaven is celebrating because of one person that is saved. Just like that shepherd in the community when one sheep is saved. Safe and sound. But then Jesus continues from the lost sheep to the lost coin. He says, hey, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Well, see, on the surface, it sounds like that she's really lost like one day's wage. 
It was just a silver coin. It's probably what it represented. And she might have had like 10 days of, of savings established. Just 10 days. So she loses one. On the surface, it seems to revolve around her savings. But I don't know, if, if I'm in that position and, and I lose, although it would be important and I would go and try to find it, and when I found it, I don't know if I would call my friends and my neighbors over to my house and say, hey, I found my day's wage, all right? I don't know if I, don't know if I would be calling everybody around and saying, hey, come celebrate with me. I found this coin. I found this thing that represents a day's savings. Although that would be important to me, and I'm going to look for it, I don't know if I'm going to bring everybody around to celebrate with me when I found it. So do a little bit more digging, and what you find out about Jewish culture is that when a woman in Jewish culture is married, she wears a headband of ten silver coins. So it's almost the equivalent of you losing your diamond ring, ladies. you losing that most precious gift that your husband has given you. It's gone. What would you do if your wedding ring wound up in the back of a garbage truck? What would you do? True story. This is not my story. This is not Lisa's story. Not yet. But true story. Lady is cooking dinner one night. And, you know, ladies, what do y'all do? You take your rings off, right? If you're cooking, if you're making biscuits or you're doing whatever, you take your ring off because you don't want to get that dough inside that beautiful ring, right? So you take your rings off, you set them down. Well, this lady had obviously taken her ring off. She had set it down, and in the cleaning up of everything, she tossed her wedding ring in the garbage, not realizing it until the next day when she got up, she realized that her wedding ring was gone and it was in the trash. And by that time, the, the garbage man had already come by, had picked up the trash and was moving down the street she runs out of her house she flags down the garbage man and the truck he stops they search for four hours looking through six tons of garbage to find her wedding ring and they found it now what do you think she did when she found her wedding ring what do you think she did she celebrated, right? I mean, she was overjoyed. Her and that garbage man, they become new best friends, okay? I think the story goes that she even wound up baking him and baking all of his buddies and everybody cook cookies and cakes, and she was overjoyed. They had a party because her wedding ring was gone, was lost, and now it's found. Reminds me of a story that took place 22 years ago on April the 1st, 1995. I'm coming home from work. Lisa's at the house. And 
I get to the, I get to the house, and, and I walk in the front door, and Lisa is she's sitting on the couch, and she's just boohooing. I mean, she has, I mean, her face, you know how it's just a, one of them ugly cries, and it wipes off all the makeup and everything, and I mean, her eyes are red, she, I mean, she's got like white marks where tears have been just flowing down her face. I'm going, honey, what, what's the matter? What, what happened? And she goes, my, my ring it's, it's down the drain. I've, I've lost it. And I go into Mr. Fix-It mode. I'm like, don't worry about it. We're going to fix this. We're going to find it. I'm going to go get my tools. We're going to take that plumbing apart. We're going to go digging for your wedding ring. I mean, I spent a bunch of money on that thing. We're not going to let that thing go down the drain without a fight. So I'm going into this hyper mode. You know what I'm talking about, guys, right? Okay, we're the Mr. Fix-It people. We're going to go and we're going to get what we need to get in order to make things right, in order to make sure that our beautiful wife is happy. So I'm in, a, I'm in frantic mode, and I turn around, and she goes, April Fools. Don't forget, it was April 1st, 1995, okay? What? April Fools, I will have you know, my wife went to the cabinet. She had gotten Visine out of the cabinet, and she had put Visine in her eyes. She had rubbed them as hard as she could, and she made herself look like she had been upset for hours. My wife is a drama queen, and she fooled me big time, big time. I could not believe it. I said, don't you ever do that to me again. I don't care what day it is. You can play a joke on me anytime you want. Don't do that again. Now, she's played other jokes on me before. But that was the best one she's ever done. And the scariest one she's ever done. Actually, really, the scariest one was when she dressed up like a pirate and then scared me in the middle of the night when I had to get up. Well, I won't go there. But... But I did lose my wedding ring one day. Actually, it was this one. I was at an FCA camp, and I was playing a game with a lot of my teammates, and it was hot. It was, I was, I, I mean, it was just one of those hot July days, you know, down in South Georgia. And we're playing this game called Tiger Ball. And in this game called Tiger Ball, I'm serving as the goalkeeper, all right? So I've got big guys that are, throwing balls at me, kicking balls at me. And I'm like going back to my high school days, trying to relive my high school days of playing goalie, all right? And I hit, I stick my hands up like this on one of their shots, and I didn't realize it. Now, but my wedding ring had flown completely off into that St. Augustine thick grass. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that thick St. Augustine grass. And as soon as the game was over, I'm like, where, where did, where's my ring? Where did it go? So I'm looking around. I'm looking around. People are walking by. Nobody's really paying attention. And there's this one guy on our uh, FCA staff. His name's Scott Pope. Scott Pope is a giant of a man. I mean, a giant of a man. This dude's like 6'6". He looks like Mr. Incredible, all right? I mean, just a big dude. 
So he said, he said man, what are, you, what are you looking for? He said, man, I, I told him, I said, man, I, lo- I lost my wedding ring. He took his off. He says, does it look something like this? I said, yeah, it looks almost just like that. He goes, everybody stop. Now, when Scott Pope says, everybody stop, you stop. All right? I mean, you're not going to say anything else. You're going to stop. Everybody stop. So everybody stopped. He said, this man has lost his wedding ring. It looks something like this. And he takes his and he throws it on the ground. What? So he threw his down on the ground. We see a picture of what it should look like in the grass. And about two minutes later, I look over, and there's my ring. And I found it, and I picked it up. What did we do when we found my wedding ring? It was like we had won the Super Bowl. It was awesome. I didn't have to go home and tell my wife that I needed a new ring to prove that I was married. It was a great day. We were high-fiving, we were chest-bumping, we were hugging. It was a glorious moment. People were actually taking pictures of it. They said, hey, I want to see your hand. They would Snapchat, you know, whatever. We didn't, I don't think we had Snapchat at that point, but they were snapping. When something of value is lost, there's a glorious celebration that takes place when it is found. And people are made in the image of God, and those who are without Jesus are lost. And when Jesus finds that person, there is a glorious celebration that is taking place in heaven when that one sinner repents and is found. His love for you is extravagant. His love for you is relentless. Which brings us to the third story in the trilogy of Luke 15. This particular story is often referred to as the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wasteful. If you've ever wondered what prodigal means, it means wasteful. But truthfully, this particular story really should be about the parable of the loving father. Because it emphasizes his graciousness and his kindness to his lost son. It doesn't really emphasize the sinfulness of the the son. It just emphasizes the grace and the kindness of the father. And unlike the shepherd and unlike the woman in the two previous stories, the father doesn't run after the son to go and look for him. Isn't that interesting? The father does not leave He just lets him go. He lets him go and he waits and he waits and he waits. He's sitting on his front porch and he sees his son in a distance coming back. He doesn't do a casual stroll. No, he gets off that front porch. He brings that robe up and he frees up his legs and he sprints down that driveway and he embraces his son with grace and compassion what he does and the father's kindness is a portrait of God's kindness to us because when you see in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 the Bible says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance it's not God's heavy hand says get right or get left no 
It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. And when you consider the Father's description of the Son's experience, He says, look, this Son was dead, and now He is alive. He was lost, and now He is found. And that, my friends, is the spiritual experience of every lost sinner who comes to the Father through Jesus Christ. When you take a look at the prodigal son, the wasteful son, and the kindness and the compassion of the father, and you compare where he's at and and who Jesus is and how we come to the father through Jesus, it's interesting. Look, the son was lost, but through Jesus, Jesus says, I'm the way. The son was ignorant. And what does Jesus say? I am the truth. The son was dead, and Jesus says, I'm the life. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way to the Father. Only way. And that it is through faith in Jesus that anyone can be saved. It's the only way. One night, a little boy and his dad were taking a walk. Matter of fact, the, the dad wanted to test the, the son's ability to remember where he lived. He was a young boy, and his mom and his dad had been teaching him his phone number and his address and getting his bearing straight in case he was ever lost. And so the father decided he was going to take his son out one evening before bedtime, and they were just going to go for a walk. And as they were walking, the father began to have a conversation with his son, and he says, son, how far are we from home? The little boy says, I don't know, daddy. I don't know. So he tried again. He says, well, where are you? The little boy says, I don't know, daddy. The dad replied, well, son, it sounds like you're lost. The little boy looked up at his dad and says, I'm not lost. I'm with you. Those who are in Christ are never lost. Those who are without Christ are as lost as that lost sheep, lost as that lost coin, and lost as that lost and wasteful son. But here's the truth. You've got Jesus' relentless and extravagant love that is pursuing the lost coin and sheep. And you've got the Father waiting. You've got the Father waiting because it was the memory of the Father's kindness that led the Son back home And it's the same thing that brings us to a place of repentance and brokenness is the kindness of God. That's what brings us back to right relationship with Him. The crazy extravagant love of Jesus makes it clear that there's one message of salvation, just one. 
It's by God's grace that you can be saved. Period. It's by God's grace. Salvation is something that is by faith alone. It's by grace alone. And it is by God alone. It's His extravagant gift of His relentless love. That's His gift. His relentless love that has been given to you to receive. To not receive it is to remain lost. To not receive it is to reject it. The only part in salvation that you have, if there is a part in this whole salvation process that you would have, is this. Like the prodigal son, you come to your senses. That come to your senses is a picture of repentance. It's a picture of recognizing where you're at being far from God and then turning back to him and saying, I'm going home because my father's kindness is leading me home. It's the same thing with God. It's his kindness that leads you back to him and leads you to that place of repentance. Maybe you know somebody in this place. Maybe you know a friend that needs to repent. Maybe you know somebody that needs to experience the kindness of God. Who is that person right now? When, 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 when that comes to mind, who, who is the person that comes to mind in your life when I ask that question? Who is it? Be like that, sh- that shepherd and go after him. Go after him. Don't hold back. Go after him. Find him and bring him home. Put him across your shoulder if you have to. Light a lamp. Sweep the floor. Do what you need to do in order to bring that lost person home. And watch God work. But maybe that lost person is you right now. Seated, seated in this room and you need to return to the Lord do that say God I know that right now I need to come back I need to come back home I need a new start I need to receive your grace and your kindness and your mercy in my life and let that be what lives through my life Jesus' love is extravagant and relentless for you. Let's pray together. As Bryce and Olivia come back to lead us through our closing chorus, I I want to invite you to a place where you can respond to God's call on your life and what He's leading you to do. If you need to receive that relentless love from Jesus, come back to your senses. Turn to Him.
return to Him and say, yes, God, I believe. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in my life. And trust me, today, you were handed a Connect card as you came in today. It's on your bulletin. And if you have any spiritual decisions that you make today, I want to encourage you to take that Connect card. And as you leave today, we have a Next Steps table in our foyer. I want to invite you to just take that Next Steps card, fill that out, and leave that right back there with me as you depart. Maybe you have somebody that is on your heart and you want us to pray with you about a person that needs to know Jesus. Prayer is the greater work. If anything that we do as a church, that is the greatest work that we do. And if you have somebody that's on your list, on your heart that we need to pray for, same thing. Take that connect card, put their name down, hand that to me as you leave today, and we're going to pray for you about that and lift you up. And pray for that friend. Jesus' love is relentless. It carries us. When the world gives way, it carries us. It carries you. Whatever it is in this life, His love is relentless. God, thank you for your relentless love for all of us. And may that relentless, extravagant love be modeled in our lives towards people that need to experience that same love. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.